So we finished chapter 20. And I was debating whether to go into some greater depth and detail. Or to just dive right into chapter 21. So in the interest of making sure that we don't get stuck in the middle, we decided we're going to go to chapter 21, since the core ideas are clear, I think. And um, although there's interesting, fascinating things, we can save them for some other time. So we are going to start chapter 21. So the rule is like this. Chapter 21 is much more difficult than chapter 20. And chapter 22 is more difficult than chapter 21. What? about chapter 21 and for that matter chapter 22 is that they revise the previous chapter in other words chapter 20 leaves us with a certain understanding and chapter 20 revises that understanding okay and then when we finish chapter 21 we'll have a certain understanding of the topic and then chapter 22 we'll, we'll revise that understanding okay. um, I would like to preface before we start chapter 21 with something that the Rambam says in the Guide for the Perplexed, Maimonides' famous philosophical work. And he says that many times when you want to teach somebody something, they need to already know one subject before they can be taught the subject you're interested in teaching them. So they need to know A before you can teach them B. The problem is that when you talk about deeper, more profound things, very often the prerequisite subject, A in this case, can only be understood with an understanding of B. So I can't teach you B because you don't know A, but I can't start teaching you A because you don't know B. So what do you do in such a case? You learn C. No. Oh, you told us this already. I did. You pretend like you know. You pretend that you, you teach A enough that you can start B, you learn B and then you go back and? Relearn. Relearn A. Now, if you think about what that implies though, what does that mean? Okay, but so you learned A, and A was kind of, wasn't really proper, but it was good enough to start B. Then you learned B. Now that you know B, you go back and say, okay, it turns out that A wasn't really 100%. Okay, but now that you have a refined understanding of A, what happens? And so what happens if you keep doing this? You don't go in circles, you go in a spiral. What's the difference between a circle and a spiral? Right, you, you know, it's, your understanding is going up in one sense, but you keep going back and forth between these things in another sense. Okay. And 
what what the way this works is that you're gonna we're gonna learn chapter twenty one, and that's going to change your understanding of chapter twenty. So you would go and go back and think, okay, how do we really what were we really saying in chapter twenty? Then you do that, you go back to chapter twenty one. Now, are we gonna do this all in class? No, okay, but. Now, really, it's actually a three-way thing because you have chapter 20, 21, and 22, and they each revise each other. <sighs> 20 and 21 specifically, though, form a pair, which is that 20 and 21 are still explaining how Hashem is alone. Okay? 22 is going to be kind of reversing that and explaining how, although Hashem is alone, um, there still exist things which are other. So that's going to be some different idea. It's more complicated. If we're gonna, before we start chapter 21, there, we, have to like, we have to make sure that we, we really get what is the core idea that we took from chapter 20. So Hashem is alone. And he's alone to the same degree as he was before the world was created as to after he creates the world. What is the basic explanation of why Hashem remains alone? Is it because the world didn't really come into existence? It's insignificant. No, it's because it's insignificant. Now, what is the explanation of the insignificance of the world? Right, since the, since the basis of creation is Hashem's word, if the word is insignificant, it follows that the creation is insignificant. Okay? And we had basically three different levels of explaining the insignificance. One was the insignificance of a word to the power of speech, two words to thoughts, and three words to the actual human qualities of the soul, right? the intellect and emotions. Okay. Have you looked at chapter 21 yet? How is there room to make things even more nothing than we already have them? So again, vis-a-vis the, vis-a-vis the faculty of speech, the word is nothing because it's Effortless, right? You can, you, can, you can just produce an infinite amount. With regard to thoughts, the words are A, redundant, and B, empty and hollow. Right? The source and life force of the words is not the word, spoken word, but the thought. Okay? And then when you move to the actual experiences, such as the desire for food or the desire for wisdom, right? those things are not linguistic at all. So the whole notion of words is just not even relevant there. Right? How do you get more... Insignificant, more um, nothing than that. Actions? No. How do you make words more nothing than that? Yeah. I cheated. I looked inside. Well, then I don't want you to. <laughs> Stillness? If I'm saying this doesn't matter because it's effortless, it doesn't cost me anything, it's redundant. It carries no meaning on its own, and in fact, it really has no relevance at all. Like, what else is there to say? 
So what I want you to understand is that as far as the altar is concerned, there is nothing more to say. If there was another level to go up, which chapter would it be in? Chapter 20. Chapter 20, right? In other words, there was a train of thought, right? Which is that we take the word, we compare it to another level of the soul, and we see what significance it has to that level of the soul, right? And we work our way up, work our way to deeper levels of the soul, and in doing so, the insignificance of the word becomes greater. If there was one more level to work up, then where would it be? It would be in that chapter because that's the same train of thought. Okay? So what's happening in chapter 21 is a totally different train of thought. Okay, now let's read the chapter. However, the nature of the divine order... Uh, okay. I'm changing the translation. Okay. The measure of God is not like the measure of flesh and blood. That's a more literal translation. Okay. What does that mean? What does that mean? The measure of God is not like the measure of blood. Yeah. You can't, we can't use like parables and art. We can't, right? What we mean when we talk about people is not what we mean when we talk about God. Okay. What problem does that create? There's no words for us to use, right? So close the book, we go home, right? So does the author ever mean that? Does he mean that the meaning of words and we apply them to people are not applicable when we talk about God because they're just two totally different types of things? No, it's just more by God. Well, if it's more by God, then, then don't say that it's not the same, it's not the same measure. What's a measure? A way of a way of a way of a way of assessing something. Correct. So when we talk about Hashem, do we use the same way of assessing things as we talk about yeah. people? Okay. Why not? We just did. I mean, the previous chapter, the previous chapter did, right? The, the previous chapter was based on that, right? We always have to do that because how that's what we're doing. Really it. It's just to our limited amount that we can understand it, but it's much more than what we could. It's more? Yeah. Like, it's. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a, a question. Why is it that if I use if I'm speaking about people, right, the way I assess what we mean by that has to be different than we talk about Hashem? Like, why can't it mean the same thing? Because Hashem and because of different What? Hashem is different than people. So that means that I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you an analogy. You you have the right answer. I want to give you an analogy for what you're saying, so everybody appreciates what you're saying. There were two rabbis in a city called um, Dvinsk. One was known as the Or Sameach. I don't remember what his last name was. He was the non-Hasidic rabbi. There was also the, the Ragachavar. The Ragachavar's name was Yosef Rosen. He was originally from a town called Ragachav. And he was known by that town. So he's known as the Ragachavar Gol, the genius of Ragachav. And he was the Hasidic rabbi. Okay? So two rabbis. The Ragachavar and the Orsameach. 
And there was a child in Dvinsk, and the child in Dvinsk overheard, overheard two people discussing the two rabbis, and one of them said that the Ragachavar is much bigger. And the child was very confused because um, the Orsameach was a, I wouldn't say he was a giant, but he was a, he was a, you know, he had a build, he was a, he had a physical presence, he had broad shoulders, he, you know, if you see pictures of him, he looked like a, he had a presence. And the Raga Trevor was like a scrawny little guy. <laughs> so this, this child was very confused because clearly the Ursameach was much bigger than the Raga Trevor. So who was right? These two people were discussing the rabbis or the child? Both. Correct. They're not using the same measure. Yeah, one's talking about physical size and one's talking about the statue. What's talking about what? In what sense, what, in what sense was the Raga Trevor bigger? In his like like intellect. In his intellect, right? So now if I apply the word big to a intellectual entity, right? One's, one's capacity for reason. It takes on a different meaning in that context, right? Than if I apply it to a physical entity. Meaning that you're using the same word to talk about God, but it's not meaning the same thing. It is meaning the same thing. Because if it's not meaning, this is, the, this is exactly the point I want to make. It is meaning the same thing. Because if it's not meaning the same thing, if it's not meaning the same thing, then don't use that word. It does mean the same thing. But what? It doesn't mean the same thing. But it means the same thing. Let me say this again. What does it mean to be big? We all know what it means to be big? Yes. Yet when what we, what we mean, right, how we assess bigness is different when we're talking about physical things than talking about, say, one's intellect or one's wisdom. Right, based on context. Right. So, so in one sense, the word preserves its meaning. Right? It's not like bigness all of a sudden means something else like blue. It means the same thing. But because it's being applied to something so radically different, the way we assess what bigness is, is changing. So in other words, like this. If I were to say, oh... The trait of Hashem and the trait of people are like, totally different. They have, the way you assess things is totally different, right? So, so yeah. does Hashem have eyes? No? no? Yes. It says in the Chumash he has eyes. Mm-hmm. you calling the Bible a liar? No, but it's a different type of eyes. It's it's a different, eyes. So does he have eyes or does he not have eyes? It's a yes or yes, no question? Yes. yes, good. Okay. Now, what are eyes? Eyes are what allows you to see, right? Now, you being an organic being, right? Your vision is facilitated by light refracting off objects, right? Reflecting off objects and, and the patterns of those things being preserved and somehow transmitted to your brain. So you need something that can do all of that, right? And it has to be like somehow part of your biology, right? So you've got these little fleshly things over here. Um... Does Hashem need those in order to be able to see? No. So whatever he has are also eyes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But he doesn't need these. He doesn't need these, right? <laughs> yeah. Right? Okay. So far so good? Okay. So does the word eyes mean the same thing? The thing that allows you to see? Yes. But when you apply it to a, a biological organism in the physical world, it's very different than you apply it to a non-physical being. Right? Just like the word big changes right, the way we evaluate what we mean by bigness, even though the meaning of the word hasn't actually changed. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, let's go with the eyes for a second. 
who says that Hashem doesn't have these little fleshly things? Like, why not? I mean, like, of course he doesn't, but why not? Maybe he does. What makes you so sure? He's not a living being. Like He's not a living, living being? Human. We can't see we are. Maybe he's hiding. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. Like, 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 we don't know. How can he see everything in the world? Very good. Okay, right. In other words, in other words like this. These type of eyes, right? These kind of fleshly ones, right? Right? They are very limited, right? They can only see what's in front of them. Right? So, for instance, herbivores have their eyes positioned where? On the sides. On the sides. That gives them what advantage? 360. They can see around them. What do they lose as a result? What's in front of them? No, they, there's a little cross. They can see what's in front of them. They can see, like... What do we have that they don't have? Oh, eyelids. They have side vision. What do we have? What do we have that they don't have? They can see things on their side. They can see things in the front. Depth. They don't have depth perception. They can't tell if something is moving closer or further to them so easily. Is that the same thing as what? Um, maybe I didn't hear. If you said three D, I didn't hear you. What? Yes, they, we have three D. If you said yeah, three D means that they have depth perception. No, it's, they can see things and they can tell if they're over here, if they're over here, if they're over there, over there, right? But if they're closer or further, coming closer or further, they can't tell. By the way, if God forbid you lose your sight in one eye, you also lose your depth perception. Okay, it is. Um, yeah. Okay. Now, um, does Hashem? Does Hashem? Also, you notice that our eyes, they require like ambient light in order to work? Yeah. Okay. So if I'm in a dark room, can Hashem still see yeah, me? Still sees you, yeah. Okay. Can Hashem see me and you? Yeah. So either he has a lot of eyes. So either there's one of two things. Either he has a lot of eyes. Uh, that's what I used to think as a kid. Right? Either he has a lot of eyes or his eyes aren't like ours, right? Yeah. Right? And then you have this other thing, right? Which is that not only does Hashem, not only does Hashem have Eyes are not, not a lot of eyes wouldn't solve the problem because you still have the thing that he could see us in the dark. Here's a better question, yeah? Um, can Hashem only see what you're doing? Can he also see what you're thinking and feeling? What you're thinking is, yeah. Uh-huh. And um, do eyes really work for that? Okay, so already at this point, we start thinking about the, the kind of sight we're attributing to Hashem. We realize these things aren't going to qualify, right? right? Okay, right? In other words, when, once, we, once we want to have a kind of limitless sight, right? If sight is a means where we become aware of reality, we want Hashem to be aware of all aspects of reality, regardless of circumstance, right? Well, these kinds of eyes aren't going to cut it. So whatever his eyes are, are just going to have to be different, right? Mm-hmm. So, right, by taking an eye and moving it from a limited biological organism in the physical world and putting it in the context of omniscience, of all-knowingness, you end up with a different kind of eye. A different, a different sense of what we mean by eye, Right? Good? Okay. Um, on emotional level, which kind of eyes do you think Hashem has? Eyes like these or like omniscient eyes? Omniscient. On an emotional level, which kind of eyes do you think Hashem has? What do you mean emotional level? Like the way you actually feel in life. Not what you say in a classroom when asked the question. Oh. Like how do you picture These it? kinds of eyes. Because of death. No, because you think you can sin and get away with it. Think about it. If you really felt like Hashem had eyes that can see you no matter what under all circumstances, how would you feel? Oh, You'd feel like you're being watched. Constantly. And would you and would you feel ever comfortable sinning? Like hiding wouldn't help. 
Yeah, you wouldn't. You feel like you could never. You feel like you're never alone, right? Like when you're in a room and someone's like this, you don't feel very like at ease because like someone's like this. Well, Hashem's always like this with you, but. <laughs> Everywhere in the world, and you just see eyes. Like you, want, you, want, you want to get weirder? Cameras. You want to get weirder? <laughs> see, here's the thing Hashem doesn't really have eyes in the same sense that we do. Right. No, no, not right. <laughs> Up till now, we've been talking about eyes being physical. Here's the thing eyes able, enable us to see things, right? To be aware of reality. Why do we need something in order to be able to be aware of reality? Because we don't know, right? That means that there's some, we have to learn about, we have to come to know about reality, right? Okay, come on. Using our eyes. Using something. We, there's something we do to become aware of a reality, right? Eyes are one of those things that we, we use. Yeah? Do that. Well, here's the thing. Um, who generates reality? God. <laughs> so how does he know what reality is? Because he makes it. So does he have to like look at reality to no. figure out what's going on? No, he just is it. Oh, well, uh-huh. gosh. So now here's the thing. If you're like, I don't know, we'll go back to sinning, for example. If you're sinning, theoretically speaking, is it like Hashem's watching you sin or he's like participating in the sin along with you? Do you think he enjoys that? No. Okay. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's what we mean when we say Hashem has eyes. It means he's aware of the sin in a kind of an internal way, not like observing it from the outside. Because that makes no sense. If he's the one who generates reality, he doesn't need to gain knowledge from reality. I realize that creates free will questions, leave those aside. But you see what I'm saying? Like, I'm not changing the meaning of the word eyes. I'm just changing the context in which I'm talking about it. And in doing so, the exactly what we mean by it, the way we evaluate that, the way we analyze that, the way we conceptualize that, what, what the Hebrew calls is the midah, the measure of that thing changes, but it's still the same thing. We're not talking about, we didn't switch from talking about like eyes to talking about chocolate chip cookies. I don't, know. I don't know. Just that's. But isn't that's, that the term they use for the kitor, the like the third eye? Is that would that be the same? In the, in the. I didn't remember a verse that says Hashem has a third eye. No verse that says Hashem has seven eyes, mm. seven male eyes. A different verses says seven female eyes. Mm. But wow. that's as far as I know. Who has seven eyes? God. Hashem. Well, actually, fourteen because he has seven male and seven female eyes. What is a male eye? Well, a male eye is an eye that looks upon the world kindly. What's a female? An eye that works, looks upon the world with uh, strict, strict standards and judgment. Okay. Is it seven for the week? Probably. Interesting. Okay. Fourteen eyes. Yeah. Okay. Um, or just seven eyes that are like double edged. Baby, I don't know. So now we have to. What have we been speaking? We were speaking about a word, right? So we, we, we spoke about a word, but we failed to take into account that we aren't talking about people's words. We're talking about God's words. So now we have to take everything we just said about words and what do we have to do with it? Put it into the context of we're speaking about. And in doing so, what will happen to our understanding of what a word is? It will, it will, be, it will be changed. But now, are we, is it now going to mean something else than what it meant originally? No. It still has to, in some sense, mean the same thing. Otherwise... You're just talking about something else, right? Just like I did with I, right? You took the word I, you take it out of the context of, you know, biological beings in the physical universe and you apply it to an omniscient being who creates reality and what you mean by I 
in some sense stays the same. It carries over. That's why you're using the same word. But in some sense, right, it, it, it's understood differently, right? It has to be measured in a different way because it has to be put in the right context. Just like the idea of big, whether you're talking about physical body or one's intellect. Good? So we yeah. could still use the same words, it's just the different context that makes And the context different. changes what he calls the measure of the, these things. But if words are not... So... But if words are not real... They are real. They are real. So they're not real. I mean, you realize, like, I'm out of a job if words aren't real. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I have, like, very strong bias to treating words as real. <laughs> It wasn't that they're not real, it's that they're not significant. Yeah, not significant. Not the same thing. So then how come... So then how come... Because they're not real, they're not Okay, fine. So we'll leave that question for another time. When a man utters a word, the breath emitted in, in speaking is something that can be sensed and perceived as a thing apart and separate from its source... Namely, the ten faculties of the soul itself. Okay, so there is an aspect of a spoken word, which is true of a person, which is that the spoken word can be sensed and perceived as a thing apart from the soul who spoke it, right? The faculties of the soul spoke it, right? In other words, um, the feelings, the desire for cake, in the previous chapter, right? And the awareness that cake is tasty, Right? are distinct from the actual spoken word. The spoken word is right, some kind of vibrations in the air that your mouth made. Right? Good? Mm-hmm. But with the Holy One, blessed be He, His speech is not, heaven forbid, separate from His blessed self. Okay, so what's the difference? When you take the concept of speech and you move it from talking about a person to talking about God, what quality of speech goes away? When God uses that's not what the text says, though. Wait, question? What about speech changes when we move the word concept of speech from talking about people to talking about God? Because the word separate. is not separate. The word, right, the word is not separate. Okay? It's not separate from what? Well, let's go back to a person. What is the word separate from when you talk about a person? No. They look at the, guys, you. guys, you have the responsibility to actually look at the text. What did the text say? From God, from, God. from your soul. From your soul. Specifically, the God. faculties of the soul, right? The intellect, the emotions. The word is sensed and perceived as a separate entity. Mm. Now, we can discuss in what notion, in what sense it's separate, but there is some degree of separateness. And that separateness has consequences. That separateness is significant. What about um, with God? Does the words ever become separate? Separate from what? The soul? What's the soul? No. Separate from? The spheres? Yeah. The source. No, it's not the source. Okay, but what did we say that the source was? Him as he is in the spheres because I... I, I no, it's not, the, it's not separate. It's not separate. Okay, good. Why is it not separate? No, that, that's not an explanation. The text continues. For there's nothing outside of him, there's no place devoid of him. Okay, so there is a big difference between us and God. What is the difference between us and God? 
There are things outside of us and there's nothing outside of. So if God speaks, where is the word being spoken? Within himself. When we speak, where is the word being spoken? Is that going to radically change? Now, we haven't explained anything yet, but that's what the text is saying. There is a key difference between us and God, which is that there's nothing outside of God and there are things that are outside of us. So the spoken word with a person exists where? Where are the words spoken? Outside of us. Outside of us. Prove the words are spoken outside of us. Somebody Someone else can hear them. Someone else can hear them. If there's nothing outside of God, then the words are not... Yeah, we explained that, like, speaking is all about for the other, express, not expressing for the other. Okay. But even so, there's no one else to hear. But what about when he spoke to Moshe? One second, one second, one second. I want you, 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 okay. I'm going to go a little bit further quickly, and then we're going to go back and spend some time on this. Therefore, his blessed speech is not like our speech, God forbid, skip the parentheses for the moment. His blessed speech is called speech only by way of the anthropomorphic illustration in the sense that is in the case of man below whose speech reveals to his audience that was hidden and concealed in his thoughts. So too is on high the blessed angel whose admitted light and life forces emerges from him from concealment into revelation to create worlds and to sustain them is called speech. Okay. So he says later on, is God's speech called speech? Yes. Yeah, and it's called speech because it's like our speech. No. What is our, it does, he says it is like our speech. What, is his, what does our speech do? And what does his speech do? As a result of me revealing the concealed, like now you know what I'm thinking and feeling, right? Mm. What I, right? And as a result of God's speech, what happens? Something comes into creation. Something comes into creation, right? So God's speech is like our speech. Does, does God's speech reveal to something else? Yes. Yes. That's called creation. Does our speech reveal to others? Yes. It's called communication, right? Okay. Okay, fine. So it is similar. We're not saying they're not the same. But we're going to talk about that later. Before we talk about in what sense they're similar, he wants to talk about in what sense they are. Is there a notion of outside of a person? Yes. Beyond the person. A notion of outside of God. So therefore, this speaking is taking place. Whatever speaking is, whatever that activity is, whatever the words are, it is taking place outside of us, but it's taking place within God. So even when we speak, it's inside of God. Yes, but don't mix up the analogy now, okay? So, I want you to think about the way that kind of, just look at the text for a minute. All from, from the beginning chapter to where I read, just like scan it again and ask yourself, is he trying to say that God's speech is like our speech with a small technical difference? Or it's completely unlike a speech with a small technical similarity? Again, is it like our speech with a technical difference? Or is it unlike our speech with a technical similarity? It's unlike our it's speech like with a technical similarity. It's not like our speech. Mm-hmm. Right. In other words, like this. It's not like our thought. Well, that's the parentheses. We'll come back to that later. I, I want you to just look at... The way he's presenting in the text, he's saying... Only by way of. Only by way right? In other words, fundamentally, his speech and our speech are nothing alike. Then why even bother to use the word? Why even bother to call it the same thing? Because there's one thing that's similar. There's some similarity. Okay. Like a person. Okay. 
So now, what does that mean? Which of these two qualities of speech is more essential to what speech is? The fact that the speech is separate from the source? Or the fact that the speech reveals to others? Well then, that, but that's the way in no, which our speech is opposite. similar. It's, oh, it's the fact well, that... Asking I'm asking you, what is the most essential quality of speech based on this text? Based on this text. Based on this text. No. 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 Do you know, you know, the, you know why you're not getting Because I'm not asking you to understand anything. I'm asking you to actually just analyze what the text is saying okay. and, and have that in your mind. The text says one thing. What did the text say? The text said that the most... They're really different, but they're in some sense similar. Okay, what is the way in which our speech and God's speech are different? Separate from us. Our speech is separate. Our speech is separate from us, and God's speech is... Not separate. Not separate from it. Okay? In what way are the speeches similar? That they both reveal. They both reveal, right? Okay, so now, what does that mean? What is the essential quality of speech? What really makes speech speech? It's separateness or the fact that it reveals? The separateness. The separateness. Why? Because the text says like this. The way you evaluate things with God is not like the way you evaluate things with people, right? When a person speaks, their speech is separate. But with God, the speech is not separate because there's nothing outside of God. Therefore, his speech is not like our speech. It is only in the sense that our speech reveals and his speech reveals that they can be considered similar. So what is he saying is fundamental to speech? The difference between our speech and his speech or the similarity? He's saying the difference is the fundamental thing, right? It happens to be there is one small way in which they happen to be similar. Right? If the way you were, if the way you were thinking about it was correct, then you, the text would be reversed. It would say, it would say, our speech is like his speech, right? Because speech is what reveals to others. Even though, right? It doesn't say it that way, right? So there's a, there's, there's a very big shift that we have to, we have to, we have to unpack here. Somehow the notion of it being separate, right? It being, as, as he says, sensed and perceived as a thing apart from its source is somehow a fundamental aspect of what speech is. So much so that it raises the question why even we call it speech at all with God, right? And we find a way of answering because uh, whatever, it, does, it does this whole revealing thing, whatever that means. So now I want to go, and now again, why is the speech completely, why is the speech never separate from the source? The author begins an explanation to that. What's the reason why the speech is never separate from the source? Because there's no, there is nothing other than the There's source. nothing other than the source. So what concept do we have to start with to understand the point that he's making? Right, there's nothing outside of him. That's the starting point. We have to start with contrasting that basic difference between us, where there's us and there's beyond us. There's us and there's a place that's devoid of us. Versus God, where there's no place devoid of him. We have to understand what that means. Then we have to ask ourselves what speech means in the context of a person. And then try to understand why that doesn't make sense with God. So much so you might even think it shouldn't be called speech at all. And only once we finish all of that, then we can go back and say in what, in what sense it's still considered to be speech. speech. Okay. Why is there nothing why is there nothing beyond God? Why is there no place devoid of God? Why is there nothing outside of God? Everything's alone. What? Everything has one second. Let's take one thing at one idea at a time. So your idea is to say 
everything has God in it. Therefore, there's no place devoid of God. Yeah. So your, the basis of your explanation is the nature of things. This is a pitcher of water. For some reason, pitchers of waters have to have God in them. So God isn't devoid of this. This is a table. For some reason, tables have to have God in them. So therefore, there's, right? And I just keep doing that. And everything, for some reason, having to do with the nature of the thing, it has some God in it. And therefore, it turns out technically there's no place devoid of God. Which isn't incorrect. One second. This is not an incorrect idea at all. Yeah. This idea is a 100% a correct idea. It's just that's not the idea here. One second. And the reason why it's not the idea here is because that has nothing to do with God. Well, how did the Altruist start out? He started out saying that God is different than people, right? What you're saying is, you're saying is like this. Pictures and tables and, 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 and the sun, the moon, the stars all have something about them which necessitates God being present, whatever that is. And therefore, it comes out by default that God has to be everywhere. That's not a statement about God. That's a statement about the nature of created things. But this is not a discussion about the nature of created things at all, right? Created things are not the subject of our discussion. The subject of discussion is... Nature of God. I don't like using that word, nature, when it comes to God. Right? The way we measure, the way we evaluate God. So whatever answer you're going to give about why there's no place devoid of God has to refer back to something about God, not about things. The idea that you said is a 100% valid idea. It shows up in chapter 2 of the second section of Tanya. That's where that idea is found. And it's an, again, that's based on the nature of things, not, the na- not, not, not God. So let's go back. Why is there no place devoid of God? There's nothing separate from him. But that's circular because he's using the idea that there's no place devoid of God because of life. to explain how the speech is not separate, right? So you know, you can't start out with, right? Uh, like, look at the ideas, how they're presented. There's no place devoid of God. That explains why the speech is not Separate. So I can't then say, oh, well, because if there was a place devoid of God, then things would be separate. You know, that, that I haven't explained anything. So let's go back. Why is there no place devoid of God? He's the source of light and life force. No, being a source doesn't mean that there's no place devoid of you. The text says that clearly. That's our speech, we're the source of our speech, and yet our speech can go beyond us. Being the source of things doesn't mean that there's no place devoid of you. That, that was very clear in the text, right? It says, with a person, when you speak, what happens? Your words go outside of you, even though you're the source of the words. So being the source doesn't mean that there's place, no place devoid of you. If something's devoid of you, that means that you're not there. Correct. So. Like, I'm not where my speech is. My speech traveled all the way to you. And your speech traveled all the way to me. But I'm over here and you're over there. Fine, I, I'm aware of that, but the text says there's no the speech isn't separate because there's no place devoid of him. So the, there's no place devoid of him has to be an idea understood in its own terms that then explains why nothing is separate. Cause he's alone. What? Because he's alone. Why does that mean there's no place devoid of him? Nothing else. His intellect and emotions. Can you just flip what Ori said? Ori said everything has God in it. Can you just say God is everywhere? God is in everything. There's nothing besides God. There we go. No, no, no. But no, 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 no. These are not all the same idea. That's what I want you to understand. These ideas get thrown on the, they're not all the same. There's nothing beside God. Isn't that that God is alone? That's what he has. Maybe. That's how I 
maybe. I, I mean, I, I, wanna, I, wanna, I want this to be on a much more simple level, okay? If there's, if, if, if there's nothing beside God, another way of saying God is that which is. In other words, like this. This is a picture. This is a person. Can I distinguish between a picture and a person? Yes. yes. Now, be, uh, is it possible to simultaneously both be a picture and be a person? No. Okay. Therefore, if there is a picture, right, the person has to exist. Separate. Uh, beyond. I want to separate now. Beyond the picture, right? So I am over here. External to the picture, the picture is there external to me. So far, so good? Okay. Is God like a picture? No, God is not like a picture. Is God like a person? No. God is, is there any notion of his not being? No. This is the difference. This is the key. God, in other words, when I say there is a picture, I mean something totally different. I mean that there is God. When I say there is a picture, I mean that a picture is a kind of thing which either could or could not be. And it is the case that there is a picture here and there's no picture over here. A person is the kind of thing to either be or not be. And it is the case that there is a person here and there isn't a person there. Right? When you're talking about a kind of thing that could either be or not be, right? Then, then, there, then, then what it is to be that thing carries with it the notion of its own not being. In other words, when we think of things being, things existing, there are things, implicit in every notion that there is is also the notion that there isn't. That there isn't. And that's not the case with God. God, in other words, when we say there is a God and we say there is a picture, it's not just the word picture and God don't mean the same thing. The word is doesn't mean the same thing. If God were the type of being where here there is a God and here there isn't a God, then that would not be what we mean by God. God is a kind of being who there is no notion of his non-being. If there's no notion of his non-being, then the kind of being he has is a very different kind of being altogether. There are people that are atheists, yes? Okay. What is an atheist? Someone who doesn't believe in God. But when they say that, they say God. Someone who doesn't, so they acknowledge that God is there, but they don't believe in it. No, it's somebody who doesn't think that God, that there is a God. Right. If we were to ask the let's 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 be respectful. Let's ask the atheist. How would the atheist, someone who's a proud atheist, not abashed, but at all, how would they explain what it is to be an atheist? They don't believe, in God. They don't believe that there's a God, there's no or they believe that there is no God. Which one? Believe that there is no God. They there is no God right? They would say, thesis: there is a God, and I believe that, that statement is false. But it's not an opinion. Like, sure. And then they would say, and you, you think that statement is true. It's like, it's like there's many statements in the world. Like, for instance, 
Um, this is a cup of water. Do you think that that's true or false? True. This is a dragon. False. This is my mother. <laughs> false. False, right? This is delicious. True. Depending on opinion. Okay. So we have this notion of like, there are statements and we then we ascribe what is called truth value to them, right? Okay. So... An atheist would be a being, it would be someone who says, right, that the statement, there is a God or God exists or anything like that, they would say that that statement is? False. False. Okay. What is the chassid's response to the atheist? You are right or you are wrong? You are right. You are right. Because we don't believe if there's a God or not, we know. No, no. We don't see God in the conversation. Are you trying to remember stuff that we talked in a different class and apply to this class? No, okay, no, don't no, no. Do. no. no. So what would be the Chassid's response? Well, obviously, any, anything... Oh, for God, you're right. Yeah, for what you, for what you mean, exists. what you mean by God, yeah. and what you mean by exists, yeah. I agree with you, that's false. Okay, oh, yeah. Right, in other words, right, if I say, um, if, if I say, if, if I say this, if I say this is my mother, but what I mean by those words is, is the same thing you mean by a cup of water, right, then, then we can... <laughs> right, we're just miscommunicating, right? So, so you agree, they agree that there's a God or not. In other words, the atheist thinks that God is something that is subject to the question of whether he exists or not. We don't believe it. And we agree that something which you can question whether it exists or not isn't God. We agree with that. That's like there is a couple of so, so, so God is a kind of a being to which the question of whether he exists or not is irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Let me put this slightly different terms. Um, does God have eyes? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yes, but if I say, does God have these little fleshly things, then we say? No, no. no. okay. Um, that one's easy, right? Does God have a color? Does he look like something? No. Red, green, okay. Did God go to high school? No. <laughs> I mean, with all of us. Right. Why couldn't you say yes to all those things? He is. He's. No, 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 no. Why, why, why? Why wouldn't you say that God went to high school? Why wouldn't you say that God went to high school? But if he why is, but if yeah. he's with you and you went to high school, wouldn't you? Wouldn't he? He could be. Why would you say no? I'll. I will tell you. I'll tell. I'll tell you why. Because generally, when you say someone went to high school, so if you have like an immigrant from a third world country and moves to a Western country as an adult, as an adult. And um, then they have a kid who goes to high school and they show up in the high school building one day to like go to a parent-teacher conference or, or, or see a school event, right? We still think it's true when they say they didn't go to high school because we're not talking about the presence in the building. We're talking about undergoing the educational process that causes them to oh, no. learn about certain things. That's, that's clearly what we mean when we say that, right? right? We're communicating with each other, right? So it may be God is with you when you went to high school and therefore in some like kind of abstracted sense he went to high school. We didn't actually go to high school because like, it's not like... It's not like a God had all problems with, you know, like peer pressure and pimples and like had to like figure it's, out if he really wants to do his math homework or not, right? It's like, no, it didn't happen. It's he if he's no, with you that no. He went through that with you, no, 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 it's no, it's 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 like the immigrant parent who who never went to school but is 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 emotionally invested and engaged with you and you're going through high school. It's not the same thing. Okay, if that. What? Oh, you can ask the same question on that, and I would say that he's doing the sin is not the same thing as you doing the sin. He's, He's somehow experiencing it. Yeah, okay. 
and that word accompanying is, is doing a lot of philosophical work, which we're going to ignore. Let's go back to our discussion. God doesn't exist. God doesn't exist. You're right. Because when we say something exists, what do we mean? We need to assert that it is present because certain conditions have been fulfilled. It could be physically exists, spiritually exists, whatever the case might be. And in the absence of those conditions being fulfilled, the thing is not present, right? And that's just not true of God. There is no notion. God is not that kind of a thing. In other words, when we, when we think of when we think of ourselves, we're thinking of something which is always being contrasted against our absence. In fact, almost everything we think about is being contrasted against an absence. Let's, let's play a game, okay? Um, hot, cold, good, Bad. light, dark, okay? Exist, exist. right? We don't have a word for it, right? We say not exist, right? But we have a concept, right? right? The lack of existence, the absence of existence, right? Tall, short. Um, significant. Insignificant. Right? Do you see every concept carries with it the, imp- the implicit notion of the, the absence of that thing, the negation of that thing, right? Okay. What are we saying about God? He doesn't have that. There is no, there is no, there is no absence, of, right? It's not, it happens to be for some reason. The, the being of God is such, there is no notion of absence of God or devoid of God. What? Why not God creation? That's not, that, that's exactly the point. God and creation are not. That's like separate. saying that would be right. no, yeah. no, no, not that's not separate. That's like if I say if I say good and you say um, green, it's like one one thing has nothing to do with the other. It just happens to be two words. Well, if it's your favorite color. Yeah, yeah. but the translation uh, is lost. Everyone. Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. Mountain. Yep. Beach. Valley. Right, or plain, depending on how you think about it, right? The inverse of or the absence of, right? But either way, right? Wet. You see, like every single thing that your mind can conceptualize, it always conceptualizes it with a shadow. For those of you who like Jungian psychology, everything has a shadow. Everything has an inverse. Everything has its absence. Everything has its void. What is God? Not void of anything. God, right, God is God. God is a being to whom that is not applicable. That is not no, such a being can't be a God. You want to put this in slightly different terms? Avram went around looking for God. Right? What did he discover? So, if you're a little kid, you do you think he discovered that God isn't physical? Like he thought that God, sun was God. He thought the moon was God. He thought the the trees were God. Whatever. Right? And he discovered that God is no, no physical thing. Right? That's not what Avram discovered. What did Avram discover? No. No, no, no. So you can't. Uh, you can't pinpoint. Nothing is like. like uh, nothing is God. That's right. Nothing is God. Because the minute you can think about this is God, a, that stands as opposed to the absence or negation. Right. If this is God, then there's the void of God. That's why no one can say I am God. Even though we have. Yeah. So, are you trying to say that? We can't say that God exists, and we also can't say that God doesn't exist. Right. The notion of existence is not really applicable. Now, the Rambam, and his, the Rambam actually says, in the guy for the Reflex, so for technically speaking, you would have to say, God, ex- God exists, but without this quality we call existence, or some convoluted thing like that. Right. I like to go around saying the Rambam says God doesn't exist, and then wait for people to seem shocked. Um, oh, I went to a 
like there is, what did he say? It's like God doesn't exist. And then he went to whole Kabbalah, but like everything is God. God is dead, he said. Oh, God is dead. But then there's contrast in the life. Right, so the, 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 so, so the issue is the issue is we have a serious problem, right? We can't so I want, I'm going to put two, I'm going to put two statements um, from, from Kabbalah, and I want you to tell me why these two statements are related, okay? The statement one statement is what we have here, it says, "Lesosupanumine, no place is devoid of him." And another statement says, "Lesmachshavatfisabe, no thought can think of him." No place is devoid of him. No thought can think of him. Those are two statements regarding God that are found in Kabbalah. What's the relationship between those two statements? They're contradicting. We can't conceptualize God. Why can't we conceptualize God? How do we conceptualize things? By by contrasting them with their shadow, with their absence, right? That's how we develop concepts. Concepts are fundamentally contrasting things. Right? Okay, so then saying no thought can grasp means that there's nothing to contrast God against, right? That's in fact saying the same thing as there's no such thing as the absence of God, which means there's no place. Devoid of him. Which means this paradoxically, the thought, God is present in the thought, well, even though you can't think of him. Because in as much as no place devoid of him, where is he? In your thought. But your thought is not thinking of him because when you're thinking of him, what are you thinking about? Something and contrasting something else. Okay, so this is like a, this is like a very important point. And by the way, there's a major idea in Hasidus. Um, and to, you, there are ideas that are true, but people don't like to like, the Yiddish word is kach, and they don't like to invest emotionally in these ideas, to really engage these ideas because they're threatening. And so this idea is generally, many Jewish scholars like, you know, put that on the shelf and don't talk too much about it. What's God? Nothing. Oh. <clears throat> Everything. <laughs> Nothing. That was not a good answer, but legitimate. That was not a good answer, but legitimate, and that was a bad answer. Let's go through them. God is legitimate because I say, what is God? And you didn't say anything false. Now, it's not a good answer because an answer needs to address the question. So if I'm using a word, I'm asking you for what is this, and you just repeat the word. I mean, it is true that the word is the word, right? God is God, right? But you're not telling me anything I didn't know, and so you're not actually addressing my question. So you're saying a truth. One second. Okay. And you say nothing. Now, the reason with nothing is that that's easily misunderstood, right? No, right. You can, right? But, 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 but you could, one way of making that legitimate answer is to say that God is nothing that you can think about, right? Or there is no way of answering that question. Okay, well, if that's what you mean by nothing, then okay, fine. But, but since nothing is, is ambiguous, it's not a great answer because it could be misinterpreted. Mm-hmm. But your answer is just wrong because God is not everything. This is not God. Why is that not God? It's a piece of plastic. Is God made of plastic? Why not? I'm asking, is God made of plastic? No. No, but God is not made of plastic. So then this is not God. 
God is not made of plastic. But Sorry. He, he I don't know. Maybe you believe in God who is made of plastic. One thing at a time. He, one thing at a time. Number two, where did the plastic, how did the plastic come about? First of all, God is not made of plastic. Number two, where did the plastic, how did the plastic come about? God created it, right? Okay, so. Uh, I, I, I know. But now I'm trying to explain to you. God is that which is, not in the normal way we use the word is. Because when we use the word is, we always mean is as opposed to? Not. I mean is without an impossible is not. Which is not, like, I don't have a word for that. So there's no outside of God. Is that, that's not because God is infinite. I want to be very clear. I, is, I'm not saying that God is infinite. Right? It's like people say, oh, there's no place outside of God God is infinite as if he's like really fat and like spreads out everywhere no matter where you go. No, it's something more fundamental. So what is God? There's no answer to that question. Then is it like just a slippery slope that we actually still like sleep into putting some kind of like dimensions into this? Like when Moshe says like We'll we'll get to all all that stuff later. Like, don't don't walk away from the uncomfortable truths. (laughs) Okay, let let, let me let me take this and put this in in a different context. That's not here, although it's it's more basic Judaism stuff. I'm about to say now. (sighs) Why is it that we don't worship idols? Uh, other than just God said you're not allowed to. I mean, without that. Like, what's so bad about it? Because they were sourcing God. Like, they're all... They're physical. They're okay, they're here's the thing. Here's the thing. No one... No, no seriously self-respecting person ever worshipped a piece of stone and thought the stone created them. I, I, I was also went to Jewish school in kindergarten. I learned that they worshipped stones. And then you get old and you realize that's not true. No one actually thought the stone was God. They were worshipping people. Had power. No, they worshipped people. They thought the stone has power? They worship- no, it did have power. Things happened when they worshipped it. Like the stone had power. No, no they worshipped no. people. Like it was just a representation of like like dog, like whatever, like dog god or something. Like it was just about the person. It was it was always a person who would worship. The same thing you asked today, like what was this like North Korea? Yes, they worship people. Okay, I'm gonna ask you a different. I'm gonna ask you a different question. Stones have no power. I ask you a different question. Um, in Judaism. What do we have in our holiest place? We have we have gold we have golden statues. Oh yeah, that's yeah. Okay, right, right. Okay. So it's uncomfortable. <laughs> that's uncomfortable. So let's go back. I mean, there is a story in the Talmud that when the Gentiles came in and they said, uh, "This seems a bit hypocritical," don't you think? <laughs> So I'm going to ask you, why don't worship idols? Because God says so. No, I think, okay. says, what are the, what are the statues that we have? We have Mayans that God. were brought up by all of this, like, Palestinians and whatever. And this was a, like, how do you say, this was a reminder that actually even they recognized the greatness of, like, of God generally. They were worshipping someone like, like, the fish god or something, but they recognized the greatness of Is it Hashem. In terms of, and it was like our trophy to take from it. Like, meaning, like, we all know that they all go back to oh. Hashem generally. 
Like, it's not something... So there's no difference. So, like, we can do what they were doing. It's not no, a big deal. No, no, no. It's not. Yeah? Well, it's because that would be, like, conceptualizing that. Yeah, that, that's actually... The deep point is like this. If you are worshipping something that you can conceptualize, you're already an idolater. In other words, the, the, the core of the idolatry is not the stone. So we know that the Kruvin were not... We never said the Kruvin were not... In other words, here's the issue, right? If we... No, is there a problem fundamentally with having a golden statue and having all the people bow down facing the golden statue? No. No. I mean, we, we have that in our temple, right? What's the issue? That thing could be God. Now, again, do people actually think that the piece no. of stone or gold is no, God? Not, I mean, some shallow people probably did, but the deeper people didn't think that. What do they think? It represented God. It channels God. Now, why does it represent or channel God? Because they think of God as something concrete they can conceptualize, that can be tapped into, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. When people worshipped idols... Yeah? So they had a bunch of different little figurines that they made, right? This figurine represents the god of fertility. So in other words, what, what's, the, what, what's the problem? They have a concept of this higher power which, is the, which, which causes us to be fertile, right? right? And they've conceptualized that higher power distinctly from, say, I don't know, the god of war, right? Hence, you need two figurines. Right. Capitalism. So what? what, what, what so what, what? The issue is right. They're thinking of the thing which causes people to be fertile. Right. Is a kind. It, it's a kind of thing like any other thing. It's a kind of thing that, that that could be or could not be. Right. And where the god of fertility is, the god of war is no. not. And like you know, hopefully the god of war goes and like you know helps your your warriors defeat their warriors, and the god of fertility helps your women be fertile. And like that's how pagans think. Okay, so the problem starts with the piece of wood, the piece of gold, or the problem starts that that the only difference between God and and anything else is the scope of its power. But it's fundamentally the same. It's a kind of thing that can either exist or cannot exist. It's a thing that has an absence. It's a thing that's understood in terms of its shadow. It is, and and it, it it doesn't rise to the level of being that God has. And, and therefore, you start building a whole theology and a whole ritual and you start, like, it doesn't, it doesn't get, it doesn't, it doesn't start, it doesn't start in the worship of physical objects. It starts in the understanding that this thing, right, thinking that the thing that you worship is something that you can, so you can conceptualize. We don't. We don't. We understand how we're not like God. We understand God's involvement in our life. We understand our duties and our obligations to God. We understand the way in which we become close to God or distant from God, but that's it. The answer to what is God never gets answered in Judaism ever. Read the Chumash. Where does it say what God is? It doesn't. The Talmud? Doesn't. Chassidus, Kabbalah. 
Never says where, what God is, ever. So then what are the Kremen? Well, that's a, sim- that's a symbolic representation of the special bond Hashem has with the Jewish people. You know, it's, 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 it's symbolic of the covenant, if you want to be more technical, rather than symbolic of God. What are the spheres then? The spheres are means and tools for God to interact with the world. It's not what he is. But then, when we're trying to conceptualize it, like, even us, in the, again, in so much, when we're trying to still conceptualize it, why is it then not going to be considered the... We're not conceptualizing, where, where are we conceptualizing God? Like, in the... Like, again, like when Moshe said, show me your face or something. Fine, so you have to look in the commentaries how they understand no, that verse. Like, Nobody actually thinks that it was about conceptualizing God. That, 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 that's actually a possibility. To, to clarify, it's more like, like with the idols, it's this idea that you can fit this full understanding of a thing in your head. And with God, it's like you, you're conceptualizing these bits and pieces in the, in the stories and the characters and everything. But there's never a point where all of it can fit in your hand at once, in its entirety. And in learning, you have this understanding of, like, I'm not going to understand all yeah, this. Yeah, that's right. why I think it's the most point. important part. It's, point. Not, it's my point. Point. not my point. It's not, not my point. So weird. It's when the ego, like, they actually all of a sudden decided one day that God is something. The Ramban actually discusses this because they experienced divine power in the Exodus. And they started to worship that. They start to conceptualize God as the divine power. Mm. The divine... Yeah. In other words, what, the way... The, you know, it's Kabbalistically, by the way. Kabbalistically, the sphere of Gevura, which is God's might, right? Which is, you know, the, the, the basis of punishing the wicked, you know? And, and, you know, that is symbolically represented with a bull. Don't ask me why right now. And um, so the way the Ramban, you can read the Ramban's commentary on Chumash, it says they saw God's power manifest in the Exodus and they built an idol to what? To represent what? His guru. Yeah, and they started worshiping, right? By the way, if you want to give it, like a different, this is really getting me into hot water, but I'll say this anyway. <laughs> um, you're familiar with that there's a monotheistic religion that's... Um, broke off of Judaism. It's very popular. And, yeah, okay, right. That one. So, um, they have a strong identification of God with love, with kindness, with compassion. There's a, there's a strong... In other words... No, don't, don't do it. Okay. Yeah, it's early Christian writers that talk about it all the time. That they're doing out of love? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a big thing. Yeah, it was all about, yeah. Okay. Okay. So, if you, if you find a person who's like into Christianity, um, you can make them very nervous when you start talking about parts of Judaism where God doesn't come across very loving. It makes them very nervous. Why? Because it takes away their entire point. Because it doesn't fit into the way they've conceptualized. God. How could God punish the good people? Yeah, let's go with the extreme. Like, I don't know, like, God... How um, could die what? How could Yosh could die in the first place? Like, even, first place? even before that, right? Like, like, like the, the, fact that, the fact that God has, like, zero tolerance for sinners and punishes them, like, very harshly throughout the Chumash. It's very extreme. I don't know if you, like, paid attention. What? Right. And so there's this, like... Like, now, where does that come about from? 
because you feel like you have a handle on what God is, right? And so that description seems to not fit God, right? Like we, it's not an argument. It's just an it's, it's not an argument. It's just an observation. In other words, it, it is going back. If you can conceptualize what God is, then you've relegated him to a certain place, a certain a certain arena, and then you have to then do the hard work of explaining how how other stuff fits. Right? Where does other stuff come from? Right? It's like if God is. If God is good and only does good things, how do bad, bad things happen? Because they don't believe in God. By someone else other than God. All right, so, see that? so we have, so you now go back to the idea of like two powers, right? Yeah. Or, so either you have to bite the bullet and say God does, does the bad stuff too, or you can like do some philosophical fancy work and saying the bad stuff isn't really bad. I mean, you got to do something like that, right? But don't we do that all the time? We do this. In Judaism, Judaism has two basic approaches. Either God does the bad or the bad isn't really bad or some combination of the both, of the two. Right, but for them, it's someone else's. But how, do we rec- how does that make sense with how we go about, how we picture God in our everyday we life? We don't picture God. We don't. Right after Moshe describes the Ten Commandments and the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai, where he says, Valer Yisim Kol Tamuna, you do not see any images. God does not look like anything. I can explain to you why the picture is not God. I can explain to you why the table is not God. I can explain to you why a carpenter from Nazareth isn't God. I can explain to you a lot of things why they're not God. I can't describe God. I can't talk about God. I can't think about God. I can do a lot of things in terms of God, but that's very different. So we could contrast things to God just from the other way, from creation up to Right, God. we could say these things aren't God. But then you're assuming that there are things. Like, sure there are things. I mean, but there's no right. counter to God itself. Right. right. In other words, the picture is not God. I'm not saying I'm not saying so that, that I'm not saying that the picture exists in some place or state beyond God. I'm not saying there's no God here, there is God here. This is this is a hard thing to wrap your head around. hundred percent is a very hard thing to wrap your head around. Someone asks you, "What is God?" The truth answer, is, the true answer is, I don't know. I, not you don't know. That's even a bad answer because that implies you're ignorant. It's not you're ignorant. Is that there's nothing there's other no than God? There's no, there's no answer to that question. God, God is. God is not a concept. God, right? When you ask what something is, you are asking for it to be conceptualized. God is not fit in a concept because so concept. What would you say to that question, it's a lie. What would you say if someone asks you what color eyes God had and what he ate for breakfast last Tuesday? Because you don't know? No. Because it didn't happen. Because he's not, he doesn't have color. He doesn't have these eyes. He's not eating. Like, we're right. You'd feel like the need to like, dis- like to educate the person that like the, the premises of their question are so off. It doesn't, it's not, the question is so out of place. Yeah. So, yeah. so what is God? Is. God yes. No, I can't answer that. There's no, the question isn't a real question. Because God is not, right? the, the, the so question presupposes that God could be conceptualized. So if someone asked that to you, what would you say? It depends on the context and the <laughs> conversation, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, that, that has to do with interpersonal relationships, right? But, okay, what if it's a random person? I generally don't talk to random people. <laughs> <laughs> what if it's a random person? person is I've been asked this by question. Now let's go there. Where is God? Different people could be looking for different Where is God? 
there was a, I'll understand, there was a, there was a famous story with the fourth Chabad Rebbe. There's a famous story with the fourth Chabad Rebbe. He was a little child and someone asked him, said, I'll give you this thing as a gift if you can tell me where God is. And so he was a very precocious child and he took out something else and he says, and I'll give you this as a gift if you tell me where God isn't. Oh. Now who's right? The kid. The kid is right. Because the idea is not so much that God is in this, so, so much as that there's no notion of something being. So why is it no. specific to say there's no place to void of God? Why can't it because just... when you're saying there's no place to void of God, what you're saying is the notion of an absence of God is meaningless. So it's someone... meaningless. It's a combination of words that doesn't mean anything. If someone asks you, what is God? Do you, would you respond? With it depends on the context. If I have 10 minutes, I might explain it. It depends how smart the person is, depends the age, depends a lot of things. No. No, because you're, 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 it's, it's not a word game. I know it sounds like words. It's not a word game. What is God? What, what, what are you thinking of? What's in your mind is that there, that there is some answer to that question. There is some defining characteristic of what makes God be God. Right? What's a higher power? Because what's a higher power? A higher power what's, what's a higher power? What is a higher power? It's something as, oh, right? Okay, so a volcano. God is a volcano? No. That's how you get to paganism. <laughs> I'm serious. There's lots of higher powers. Volcanoes, the sun, the tidal wave. The ultimate higher power. The ultimate higher power. That's not wrong. That's for sure wrong. Because what's a power? It's a man's like It's the way we understand. It's the idea that something can cause other things to change. That's what God is. God is the energy that makes everything change. God is the energy of the universe. That's the energy of the universe for being sentient. That's not what God is. That's what he's in relation to. No, that means what he does in relation. You know, the difference between defining what something is and describing what it's doing, those are not the same thing. Even the is, you have to be careful because when you say is, you're thinking of something. You don't have words for this. Does Lashikadesh have words for this? No. So then what do you say? You can quote Shlomo, Davra Melech, Dumya Sahila silences his praise. What about I am that I am? That's describing his relationship with us. What about? That he'll be with us in exile. Not just this one, the next one. Which is why Moshe doesn't repeat that. It was kind of disheartening, you know. It's like, we're going out of exile and God will be with us. Also in the next exile. It's like, not a great, <laughs> not a great inspiring Ditto. message. Ditto. Can you just explain the difference between like, not belief in God? Or, or the Ramah has another explanation is that is that it's describing the fact that God causes other things to be. There's an explanation, but it's not talking about what God actually is. There's no. The Zohar also says that, that God is not alluded to by any word or symbol or, 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 or anything. This is, in other words, <laughs> the idea that you said that everything has to have a little bit of God in it is a much easier idea to understand and explain. Yeah, because yeah, you're dealing with things. You're saying, well, what's the nature of a thing? And it comes out that things need to have God in them for some reason. You could explain that. But with God, it's... There's no such thing as outside of God. 
it's interesting to discuss all of this. It challenges your soul, challenges everything within you, which is, it's a good thing. That's like, that's like what it's supposed to do. It's to strip you of everything that you know to get to this nothingness. No? It's, um, like, it's like it's like you're. I mean, kind of that's like, actually step one way. It's actually supposed to get you to to disregard any other consideration other than doing Torah mitzvahs. That's really what it's supposed to get you to. Right. But that we have to get to chapters uh, yeah. twenty three. Easy. <laughs> we're 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 on our way there. Okay, I'll tell you one last thing, and then I have to run. There is one thing that is like God. Your subjective experience of conscious awareness. Your subjective experience of conscious awareness. Can you ever get outside of your own awareness? No. In other words, you could you could not be aware of yourself, right? But you're but there's still you are still the one who's being aware. Isaac Humler describes it. Um, I don't remember if he had what the Hebrew wording he uses. He has a note on Tanya. You're what? saying someone's awareness is similar to God. Subjectively. Subjectively. In other That's words, in how we no matter what you're aware of, have you ever gotten outside of your awareness? No. Do you even have a notion of outside of your awareness? Do you even contrast outside of your awareness? Even when you think about outside your awareness, it's outside your awareness as it is. In your awareness. That's right. It's your mental representation of outside your awareness. So that's the only thing that's like God. In that sense. Where does it say that? It's a letter of Rabbi Isaac Humler, or a note of Rabbi Isaac Humler explaining chapter 33 of Tanya, which is actually a very similar idea to chapter 21 and 22. 20. So. Thank you.